your horse training questions answered. Answered. Welcome to the Carson James Podcast, your weekly boost of horsemanship. No jargon, no fluff, and no BS. Just natural, proven solutions that work. And now, here's Carson James. Hello again, everyone, or if you are just coming into all of our podcasts, hello for the first time. So this one is a question from Irene, and basically it's all about desensitizing. And she asks, uh, hey, Carson, I've done hours of desensitizing with my horse, but he still acts very nervous and spooky. And uh, if the wind if the wind blows just the wrong way or a rabbit jumps out on the trail, he will either spook in place or turn back. And I don't know what else I can do to help him get uh get less spooky about things and irene this is a really good question and your question is going to allow us to go into kind of the theory of desensitizing so this this whole discussion we're about to do is all about realizing that desensitizing a horse is not actually the way to make a horse not spooky and safe to ride. Now, it can be a part of it, but this will give me a chance to tell my story. Now, this story is completely made up, but just humor me. And I'll give you guys the short version. Uh, this, and this story, it all pertains to showing how desensitization is not necessarily the way to make a horse more confident. See, when a horse is spooky, it's just because they're lacking confidence. And if you would like to, you know, hear some, hear some talk and some logic and stuff like that, as far as increasing a horse's actual confidence, you can just refer to some of our previous webinars. But anyway, as the made-up story, as the made-up story goes, let's say me and my friend Robert were in, uh, let's say Robert is from Atlanta, and I've never been to Atlanta, but I go up to visit Robert in Atlanta, and I'm like, hey, so Robert, I've been wanting to check out downtown, but I'm not going to go down there, man, because there's just, you know, like, it's really trafficy and really busy, and I don't know the bad parts and the good parts of town and all that. And then Robert, living in the area, he says with full confidence, oh, Carson, buddy, I know this place like the back of my hand. I've born and raised here. I know where every speed trap is. I know the areas to stay away from and the good ones and everything in between. I got you, dude. I'll do you one better, Carson. I'll ride shotgun with you, and I will be your personal GPS, your tour guide. You just do the driving, and I got us covered. Okay, well, from Robert's confidence, I would be, I would kind of be starting to really dig the idea of going into downtown Atlanta with Robert uh, because of his confidence and the way he approached the way the way he approached it, you know. So I'm like, all right, dude, let's do this thing. So we get in the truck and we start heading, uh, you know, from the outskirts into downtown Atlanta. Well, as we go, I start to learn that Robert does not really know the area as good as, oh, it's fine. As we go, uh, I do, I start to learn that Robert does not really know the area as good as he initially made out like he did. For example, as we're going up the interstate, 
He's like, all right, Carson, your exit's going to be in a mile, so go ahead and get in the right lane. Never mind, it's coming up really fast. Carson, get over. And then I start to merge, and then a semi blows his horn. says, Carson, what are you doing? You almost ran into a semi, dude. I didn't mean right now. And I'm like, okay. He's like, all right, just go to the next exit. We'll get off there. Oh, by the way, this next exit is going to put us right in the worst part of town. And, you know, it goes on like this. Okay, well, after, you know, by the time we get halfway into downtown, you guys just imagine, at this point, I've got my hands clenched up on the steering wheel. I've got my head kind of raised. I've got my eyes are kind of big. I'm getting pretty spooky, you know. Getting kind of in, getting kind of tight mentally and physically. Therefore, my decision-making gets worse. All this stuff. Okay, well, this goes on for a few more minutes. And then finally... My self-preservation kicks in, and this is a big key. Listen here. I then get to the point to where I have no choice but to throw Robert out, you know, just start ignoring him, okay? I have no choice but to start ignoring Robert completely and relying on my own, pre- on my own instincts to just try to get through the situation, It probably won't be pretty because I'm tense, nervous and all. But at this point, I feel like I can keep us protected more than Robert can. So I start ignoring Robert doing the best I can. Okay, now let's flip the switch. Let's say Robert really did know the area and he's just the world's best tour guide. Okay, well, the longer that I rode with Robert, the more I would get relaxed after, you know, 20 really good minutes of riding with Robert, with Robert being a great guide and all. I'd probably have a real loose grip, only one hand on the steering wheel, a soda in my other hand, my seat reclined back, the tunes playing, and I would be just super chill, just doing what Robert said, because every time it put me in a good deal, okay? So the moral of this story is, is remember, I've been driving most of my life. I'm not afraid of traffic and semis and tall buildings and speed traps and things like that so here's the key i did not need more exposure to that environment to become okay with it what i needed was clear leadership so that is the difference in desensitization to try to make a horse less spooky and calm versus good leadership to make a horse less spooky and calm now yes if Robert noticed that I was afraid of semis, then he would say, all right, Carson, you're just going to make a pass and go around the semi, look over there, the semi's not hurting, you know, we would desensitize me to semis. So there is a place for that. But most of the time, I'm going to say 80, 90% of the time, if you can focus more on giving your horse something better to do than get bothered, then you can increase his confidence and not actually desensitize him, and you will have 80 times better of an outcome as far as the horse relaxing and is actually becoming desensitized. You think, man, how come now he's not nervous about the banner anymore? I never even tried to desensitize him to the banner. Well, the reason he's not nervous about the banner anymore is because every time he started to get nervous about the banner, you said, hey, buddy, turn left and trot off. Then you came back around. When he got nervous, you said, hey, buddy, turn left and trot off. Instead of teaching that horse to look at the banner and make a thing out of the banner and hunt for the banner, saying, hey, look at the banner, look at the banner, this banner or flag or whatever, this banner is a big deal, big deal. You said, 
oh, that's cool, ignore it, turn left, trot away. And turn left, trot away is just an example. But see, we're giving the horse something better to do. We're giving his mind somewhere else to go instead of the scary dark corner where mentally, the scary dark mental corner where the banner is at. We were at a clinic one time and we did this exact thing. And after about 10 laps around doing that, uh, this horse that previously would get within 20 feet of it and then jump to the left and bolt away from the banner, you could walk him right by the banner. And on like the 11th lap, we were walking by it and I reached out and touched it and he never looked at it. His ear never even went towards it. And all of a sudden it was like the banner was invisible to the horse but we never desensitized him to the banner. We just gave his mind something better to do than to get bothered. So most of the time you can change your focus and that will cause you to change your approach of how you're handling a horse that's being spooky. Uh, For one example, instead of saying, hey, my horse is spooky, change the word spooky to lacking confidence. And then we've covered this in some of our previous podcasts, but in the, uh, you know, the basic, uh, basically the way you get a horse more confident is by doing what Robert would have done in the second scenario, clearly communicating what he needed me to do. And every time I did it, it felt good. So the way you would apply that to a horse, let's say you want the horse to back up. You would pull back on the reins, and right when he began to take a step back, you would make it feel kind of good by slackening the reins a little bit. So every time he did what you were directing him to do, it felt good to him. There was release. So therefore, hey, this human is giving me release when I do blank. Well, now, instead of, oh, that dang human, I'm honorary because that human's always putting pressure on me, you've flipped the script. You've made it to where... You've set it up to where the horse thinks the pressure is self-inflicted and the human is the one providing the release. So that tells the self-preservation instincts, hey, horse, you can listen to that human. That human is your savior. You know, we love that human. Therefore, the self-preservation instincts in the horse lower. He can let down those walls that he instinctually has no choice but to keep up until you can, you know, fix it. He will be allowed, his instincts will allow him to lower those walls and more or less, you know, give himself up to you mentally. That's when the horse becomes putty in your hands and moldable to anything that you want. And all of this stuff is interconnected. You know, confidence, desensitizing, spookiness, uh, good timing of the pressure and the release, how much pressure, how much release. It's all It's all the same world. You could take any subject with a horse and go off talking about it, and at some point it would just circle back around and start making figure eights and circles, and you would find that all of it is connected. Uh, You know, the mind of a horse, what makes a horse tick. Now, now we're going to, let's kind of switch subjects a little bit. Now let's talk about actual desensitizing. Now, You know, probably most people listening to this podcast right now kind of are like, okay, well, you know, everybody and their brother knows what desensitizing is. You present a horse with an object and you do it till he's not afraid and then release, yada, yada, and then he's not afraid anymore. Generally, you know, well, I'm not even going to say generally. About half of the time, that's true. It's as simple as that. You just start exposing them to it 
and they get to where they don't really kind of they don't really care about it anymore because they're like oh i've seen this movie a thousand times no biggie to me but here's the thing a lot of horses that's not gonna cut it with a lot of horses like those horses you know we've all heard the stories or maybe even uh dealt with one where we feel like you know, we have to restart every day and re-desensitize and re-desensitize. And right when you think he's got it, a week later, he reverts back and he's scared of it again. Now, you know, some of that is because, like when I was learning to spell my last name as a little kid, I would get it right sometimes, but then I would get unsure. Okay, well, until a horse gets real, real sure that the garbage bag is not going to hurt him, There may be times where he's feeling kind of okay about the scary plastic bag, and then other times where he gets a little unsure. We do it too. Sometimes, uh, you know, at work, we're real sure that we did it right and the boss will be happy. Other times we do it and we doubt ourselves, then we may go back and change. Now, if the boss is right there to say, no, 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 don't change it. Be this person. Keep thinking the way you're thinking. This is right. Well, then we can grow our confidence in that type of thinking and we continue to please our boss even more and more because the boss gave us the sureness and the clarity that we were thinking right when we did the whatever, the paper, the, you know, built the fence the right way, whatever. So when a horse is inconsistent where they're scared one day and not the next, it's just because they're not sure enough yet. The better we get at being that good boss that can clearly say, yes, this is it, the quicker that horse will be sure more consistently. And then when he gets pretty dang sure, you get him even more sure, even more sure, even more sure. The reason a horse can do a a bridle stop is because he is very, very sure that that's the thing to do. One that doesn't do it as good is just not as sure that that's the thing to do when he feels you sit down and say, whoa, or whatever it is you do to stop your horse. Uh, Trying to remember where we were going. Oh, actual desensitizing, right. So for some of those horses, the exposure, taking it away, it will not work unless you have really good timing. So the best example I can think of this, and I'll tell the story and then uh, then we'll follow up with it. And this, this story is real short. But anyways, a while back, a uh, lady brought a horse. She said, you know, I've taken him to a whole bunch of trainers and stuff, and nobody can get this horse to where you can trim a, bar, a bridle path up on his pole with clippers. Uh, and I said, okay, all right, let me try it. She said, if you can do it within the hour, I'll give you $100. And I was like, oh, sweet. All right, you're on. And I didn't know if I could do it or not. It just it worked out. But anyways, so sure enough, you turn the clippers on, standing like five feet in front of this horse, and I had a halter and lead on it. And his head came up, and he just started, like, backing up, you know, kind of fast. He was, like, pretty worried about him. So anyways, when that horse started backing up, I just went with him, keeping the clippers on and holding them right where I had them. And then after he backed up about 10 feet, there was a little spot there where he backed up a little slower. I immediately turned off the clippers and lowered my hand. Then we did it again. Then a few more times. Then a few more. At that point, uh, I could turn on the clippers and walk towards the horse and he would maybe back up one step. And I would hang in there, clippers turned on, hand up. And then I would start to try to pull him towards me. And when he, not when he took a step towards me, but when he shifted his weight, preparing to take a step towards me and those clippers, bam, clippers turned off, the hand lowered. 
So we started at the very bottom, uh, you know, recognizing the recognizing and rewarding the smallest change and the slightest try. You guys see where we're going with this. This is more like desensitizing with timing, starting further down the line, rewarding the little bitty things, watching the ears, watching the eyes. Every time the head would raise, Clipper stayed on. Every time head would lower or he would excel or go that noise that horses make. Clippers would go off, stuff like that. So we worked at the bottom step of the ladder for, I don't know, 10 minutes, and then he let me jump ahead a couple steps. We worked right there until he was feeling pretty good. And then he let me jump ahead two more steps. Because we started at the bottom and worked with where the horse was at, not where we wanted him to be, we very quickly, within an hour, got the horse to where you could trim his bridle path. And, uh, you know, we, we just kept going up the line, but now that was desensitizing, but we were trying to do it with really good timing and really getting down in there to the theory and logic of basically, Hey buddy, every time you show a little bit of bravery towards these clippers, the clippers go away. So that horse learned that he could actually control the clippers anytime he didn't like the clippers Instead of avoiding him, he actually came to him a little bit. And every time he came to, guess what? Yep, clippers turned off, the hand went away for just a couple seconds, you know. And that horse learned that he could control the clippers. If you've ever tried to start a horse on cattle, if the horse is afraid of cows, what you'll find is, is the minute you, sh the, you can get the horse to go up to a cow and the cow turns away and leaves, that horse will very quickly lose his fear of the cow or the flag or the Walmart bag, whatever, because that horse learns that, hey, I'm actually, I don't like the word dominant, but hey, I'm actually dominant here. I can push on these clippers, flag, bag, the cow, and it yields away from me. See there? That's how a dominant horse becomes the dominant horse. They kind of feel out the other horses, and the first one to yield the horse says, ha, gotcha. I don't need to watch my back around you, other horse. You need to watch your back around me. And that's a big part of how to make a horse confident to objects that they're worried about, you know. Uh, There's another quick story at a clinic. Same kind of deal, except this time it was a lunge whip with a Walmart bag. Lady said, you cannot use a, a Walmart bag on a stick uh, around this horse. He will drag you across the arena. And so I took the horse out in the arena and I had my stick with the Walmart bag and I got about, I had like an eight foot lead line. So I was about 10 feet away from the horse standing right in front of him. And I had the bag, uh, wadded up in my hand, holding the stick. I extended out the stick, but I put it real low on the ground and I put the stick directly behind me. So the bag was like 18 feet away from this horse and I didn't raise it and wave it. I just picked it off the ground and jiggled it just a little bit horse didn't even look at it he was looking at uh something over to his right a little bit so my immediate thought is hold on you said you could not use a bag around this horse well you can it was just the approach that was being done did not fit the sensitivity level of the horse and it was the exact same deal as the as the clippers with the other horse um after a few minutes we got to where we could be pretty brazen with the flag and we were lunging him around us at a walk or the walmart bag i'm sorry 
and um, he was just mellow as could be. Then we started using the Walmart bag on the stick to get him where he lunged at a walk a little bit better because when he did a direction change lunging, he would kind of come in and crowd the human. Uh, So we cleaned that up a little. Anyways, so uh, that was like 40 minutes, and he was totally chill with the bag. But, see, we didn't necessarily even desensitize that horse to the Walmart bag. We just said, like, hey, when you see the Walmart bag coming up kind of by the right side of your neck, just yield your shoulders away from that bag and walk off, and the bag goes away. Same deal. The horse learned that by lunging, he could keep the bag at bay. So he very quickly lost fear of it. And then we got to where we could actually use it a little bit more aggressively with him. Uh, When I say aggressively, I just mean actually waving it a little bit and stuff. And he was just right. He didn't ignore it, but he also was not bothered by it. A lot of times people ask when we talk about this stuff, they'll say, well, uh, you know, do I, do I, should I really use a flag to use my, to get my horse to lunging and, you know, doing groundwork and stuff? Cause won't that make him afraid of it? If every time he moves away from it, it goes away. So the, where your thinking should go when you think something like that is, just because a horse responds to something does not mean that he's afraid of it. For example, when you guys are sitting on... Now, some of you might say, actually, yeah, my horse does get scared, but just humor me here. For for the most part, let's say you guys are sitting on your horse, just standing there, chilling out. And he's all calm and life is good. And then you decide you want to go from a stand to a walk. So you kind of, you know, I don't know, push your hand forward and squeeze with the legs a little bit. And that horse walks right off and just goes to walking. Well, just because he responded to your heel does not mean that he was afraid of your heel. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing. Just because a horse responds to stimuli, a bag, whatever, doesn't mean he's afraid of it. Um, you know, you sometimes people overdo the desensitizing thing because they think it makes their horse more confident. And they get that horse to where they can't actually do any good light groundwork with him because... He is so doled out to the world around him, you can't get him to be lively and pick up his shoulders or back away from you because you've taught him to ignore everything. So, you know, there's that's kind of a, a really good logic for the whole desensitizing type of thing. Um, oh, and the, the other thing I was going to say, so the story about the Clippers, that whole thing was filmed. And we put it on the Buckaroo Crew website. And for those of you that don't know what it is, the uh, it's buckaroocrew.com. And it's where we have all kind of training videos. So you can go in there and in the search box under the video index, there's also courses in there. But just go to the video index. Um, you'll see that button on the top. And you can just type in the search box, des- the search box desensitizing. And it will pull up every video on desensitizing. And I believe that Clipper video that we told about the story, it's called uh, How to Desensitize a Horse to Any Object, because you would apply that same logic, you know, no matter what the object was. But anyways, uh, if you guys want, you can go to buckroocrew.com and check out that video if you want to actually see a visual of all of that stuff being done. So uh, I think that covers... Everything that I wanted to talk about, about desensitizing. But just as a quick recap, just remember, uh, spookiness is better cured by improving confidence, not desensitization. 
Remember the story about me and Robert going to Atlanta. I wasn't afraid of traffic. What I needed was leadership. I've seen traffic all my life. Uh, oh, a quick ending to that story. In scenario one, when Robert was really bad, really bad leader, just thank you guys. When we got back to the house, I would probably not want to be, I would probably not want to go riding with Robert anymore after that. And if he tried to do that with me, I would probably get honorary. And then I would get the reputation of Robert's telling all of his buddies at work, man, y'all, that Carson, he is so stubborn. Uh, he's, he's a brat. He's trying to take advantage of me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, the thing you have to realize there is Robert gave me no choice but to become that way. My survival depended on me doing what Robert called me being snobby or, you know, a lot of people will say, yeah, this horse is being a brat. You have to understand they have no choice. Their instincts won't let them do anything but try to protect their well-being if that leadership and is not there. And if you're not able to provide the comfort and security to that horse, he will try to get it at other places. For example, this is what we call a horse being buddy sour. See the connection there? So, uh... Yeah, there was that. Oh, yeah. Now, scenario number two with Robert, where Robert was awesome. Well, I would probably be chomping at the bit to go riding with Robert again because it was such a sweet deal when I was chilling with Robert because Robert was really cool in scenario number two. So, you know, in a lot of ways, horses are a lot like humans. People are like, oh, yeah, you got, you know, horses are way different than people. But basic concepts, no. Uh, humans and horses have a basic need for self-preservation and whether it's a human or a horse or a dog or a cat or a tree limb or whatever uh anytime that human object fish anything starts to have their have that self-preservation raise up in them they will stop trying to draw their self-preservation comfort from an outside source and feel like they have to rely on themselves and we all know that horses are you know panicky they move their feet to feel secure and you really don't want your horse feeling like he has to draw on his instincts to be okay because when you get that that is the reason everybody has these common horse problems bucking bolting rearing buddy sour barn sour gate sour not standing for the ferry, anything, not trailer loading. It's all because their self-preservation is not allowing them to do all of those things correctly. So people say, well, how do you get a horse to trailer load? Well, you get it more confident. That would be a good start. Uh, get those self-preservation walls to lower. Well, how do you do that? Well, you become Robert in scenario number two and be less like Robert in scenario number one. And there's all variations, you know, uh, you know, somebody may be really good at getting a horse to get in a trailer, but they may be really bad at teaching a horse to back up. So obviously the horse is going to be kind of resentful about backing up, but really good at loading in a trailer. And that's why you can have a horse that I just don't under, you know, somebody will say, I just don't understand. He is so good at everything except there's this one thing, or he is so good until he's not, or he's so good on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, but then on Friday, huh, don't even count on it. That's why all of those things can happen. See, it's all interrelated. It's all the same stuff. Okay, 
there i'm pretty sure we got that covered oh wow this was 30 minutes long all right well i hope you guys enjoyed it if you can put this into practice all these things we talked about it is going to change everything so just put some thought in it and see if you can start finding some ways to apply that type of thinking to your uh to your horsey partner and we will see you next time you've been listening to the carson james podcast real simple horsemanship subscribe now to get new questions answered every week if you enjoyed this week's podcast drop us a review and share it with your horsey friends 